0: Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us here this morning on this exciting baptism service. I know we've got some folks who are watching online, so good morning to you. Uh, those of you who are here in person, good morning to you. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect, and if it is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you chose to come and join us this morning. Um now, I wonder if you've ever been to one of those places where it's kind of a historical uh, location, and to really add to the authenticity of it, as you're walking around, there are people dressed up in period costume. You know, they're, they're kind of playing the part of what someone would have been like uh, back in those times. If you've got kids who uh, go to grade school around here, maybe you went on a field trip. I know I went on at least one, maybe a couple of field trips with my kids down to Springfield, and we went to the... Uh, Abraham Lincoln Museum, but then we also went off to a little town nearby called New Salem, which was kind of the uh, the place where Lincoln grew up. I think (laughs) I was paying attention. I'm sure I think it was. And uh, you can walk around. There are these little kind of wooden cabins. You know, you get to see what it was like back in the time when he was a boy and a young man growing up. And uh, it's 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 great. It's great to see all that. But uh, some of these cabins, you go in, and there are people in there uh, dressed up doing what someone would have been doing back. In those times. Have you ever seen someone like that or been someone like that? And they take it really seriously. Like, I mean, they are really 100% that person. Like, I remember going up and talking to them and saying, ah, oh, this is great, you know, uh, where do you go shopping around here? She goes, well, I go to the village store, and that's where I collect my provisions. Like, I buy a wooden toothbrush and a bar of soap, and that's how I clean my teeth. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of weird. And then I'll, I'll try and have like a normal conversation. So I said, like, so do you live right here? Where do you live? I live in the third cabin down. And I'm like, no, no, where, where do you live? I live in the third cabin down. I was like, okay, you really are that person, aren't you? And they they. Want I want you to experience it. Um, for my family, we, uh, a few years ago, I say a few, it was 11 years ago now, we were back on a trip in England visiting family, and it was a beautiful spring day, so we went to a place called Hampton Court Palace. It's near where my parents live, and um, it's a beautiful location. There it is right there. It was actually the, the home of King Henry VIII. So back in uh, medieval times, Tudor times, King Henry VIII lived there. If you remember King Henry VIII, he had six wives. Um, And uh, so there's quite a lot of history and stories as we toured Hampton Court. And uh, my kids really got into it. In fact, there wasn't even an option for the kids to dress up like uh, people of those times. I think I've got a picture here of them trying on their cloaks and getting ready for their uh, tour of the palace. And... uh, just like in Springfield, here at Hampton Court, there were some folks dressed up, just like people from King Henry VIII's times, and they were there to talk about what life was like back in England in those days, and I was with my mum and dad, and they were so excited. My mum was that we were getting all this culture and learning, so when they saw these two people, they were doing like a presentation out in the courtyard, so my mum scoots all of us down to the family. She's like, come on, we're going to learn. We're here to learn, you know, so, so they get us all up close to these people having this interview interaction with each other. And um, being typical English people, uh, they decided that history just in and of itself wasn't exciting or interesting enough. So they colored it up a little bit, spiced it up a little bit. There was a few things they said that were a little bit innuendo, uh, a couple of rude jokes they made. And uh, I remember at one point them, them saying something and thinking, oh, that's a bit inappropriate with kids around. and But I couldn't remember exactly. I wasn't 100% sure. So I texted. My family group text earlier this week when I was preparing my message, and I said, do you guys remember? I said, I've, I've got this vague recollection that when we went to Hampton Court, these guys were doing this acting thing, and one of them says something maybe inappropriate. Do you remember And Will, my middle son, like first to respond, he's like, yes. He goes, I totally remember. I even remember the joke. He goes, I can still remember the joke he cracked. This was his text. He says, I remember him saying it and thinking, that's funny. And then mum made me stand somewhere else. <sighs> I remember my mom at the time was horrified. She's kind of scooting them away. And uh, when I showed him the picture, she, he's like, yes, it was that guy there in the brown cloak. I remember what he said. Um, will told me the joke he said, and it was funny. Unfortunately, I cannot repeat it from the stage of a church this morning, but Will will be in the lobby afterwards if you like to ask him. So. But these guys really want you to experience what it was like in that time. And 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, during the, the time of Jesus, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, there was a man by the name of John, and John was one of Jesus' disciples, he was an apostle, and like these folks, like the folks down in Springfield, he really wants to make sure that the, the people of his day knew what it was like for him to have lived alongside Jesus. To have walked alongside Jesus, to have seen the signs, the miracles that Jesus performed, to have heard what Jesus taught, to, to explain the kind of person Jesus was. So about 50 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, people were already talking about him, stories were being told, this new movement of Christians was growing rapidly. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written down their accounts of the life of Jesus, but John... John felt like there's, there's still other things that need to be said. There are things that I don't want people to miss about Jesus. So John decided to write a letter also, to write down in a, in a book his recollection of being with Jesus. Like those, those period actors, he wanted you to know, he wanted me and you and the people reading that letter to know what it was like to be with Jesus. In fact, in his letter, he even states the purpose for writing it. He explains, listen, this is why I had to get pen to paper, this is why I had to get my thoughts down. Cause, Cause it's so important that you hear this. John 20, 31, he says, the disciples, of whom he was one, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. So so more than he wrote about, there was so much that happened, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, here it is, John tells us why. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John's saying, I'm writing this so that based on my words, based on my account of what I saw and what I heard, based on what I'm telling you, you will believe in Jesus. He's wanting all of his readers to understand that biblical faith is based on evidence biblical faith is based on evidence there are many here this morning some of whom got baptized who have made a decision to follow Jesus not just because it seems like the right thing to do but because they have they've listened to to stories told by someone like John and there is an evidence that says that has led me to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be So to help people believe, John includes seven signs, seven miracles in his book. Now, like he says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. So there were lots of others that I didn't get to write down, but I've chosen seven. John says, I've chosen seven to write down because these are really important. They're important signs, miracles for you to know about Jesus, what he did. But they're important as well because they give you a little bit of an insight into who Jesus is. When you understand why he did what he did, you get to understand a little bit more of who he is and what that means to us even today. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of these signs. We've looked at Jesus turning water into wine. We learned a couple of weeks ago about Jesus um, healing the son of a government official. Last week, Justin was here speaking. He talked about Jesus walking on water. And today, we're going to look at probably what is one of the most famous miracles or signs, especially in the book of John. And it's the time that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, some of you may be familiar with this story already, but we'll go through it anyway together, uh, just for those who maybe don't know how it went down. So you can read about it in John chapter 11, and we'll have the verses up on the screen so you can follow along as I read. So it opens up in John chapter 11, sets the scene by saying that a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now I have to imagine that Mary and Martha were somewhat confident in this request. Lazarus is sick. It's obviously pretty serious because they've sent words to Jesus. But I think there's a little bit of confidence because they've heard about what Jesus can do. They've probably seen some of the signs with their own eyes of what Jesus can do. They've seen what Jesus can do to help and heal strangers, people he's never met. So they have to be thinking, oh, we're good here because he's our friend. Jesus, this is Lazarus, your friend. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Isn't that the case? Sometimes we, we want to kind of have an in with someone. We want to have a connection with someone. Because if we do, that's going to maybe help us get something that ordinarily we wouldn't normally be able to get. I remember last year... There was a time when I traveled back to England by myself uh, to see my family, and uh, it was the night before I was coming back. I went out with a friend of mine, and uh, we were hanging out that evening, and there was a lady sat at the table next to us, and we were just kind of chit-chatting with her a little bit, and uh, I mentioned that I was flying back the next day to America. She goes, no way. She goes, my nephew works for British Airways. He's a flight attendant, and he flies to America. So I'm flying the next day on British Airways. I'm like, hey, what's his name? So she tells me his name, I write it down, because I'm thinking, what if he's on my plane? I mean, I know this is a long shot. There are lots of places that British Airways fly to in America, from England, and even if he was flying to Chicago, there are lots of days that he could have been flying, but I was kind of holding out, and I don't know why, but I think it's because I was thinking, if I get on the plane this morning, and I see this guy wearing a name tag, and I realize it's him, I can say, hey, I met your aunt last night in a pub. <laughs> she told me you worked here. Can I sit in first class? <laughs> that's, that's kind of how i was played out in my mind, that somehow that's how it would work. Now, obviously, that's very unlikely that that's even going to happen. But I was just kind of holding out because I knew someone. And I think when Mary and Martha sent words to Jesus, they had to be thinking, we're going to be okay. Because it's your dear friend, Jesus. You know him. It's, it's Lazarus. Come quickly. But sadly, for me, having a friend on British Airways didn't help on that particular journey. And to the amazement of Mary, Martha, and I'm sure even the disciples, being a friend of Jesus didn't even help in this situation. Because listen to how Jesus responds in verse four. When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happens for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Can you imagine the disappointment that Mary and Martha must have felt in that moment? They've sent words to Jesus. They're probably feeling kind of confidence because they're his friends. Lazarus was his friend. And now a couple of days have gone by and still... No, Jesus. They had to be questioning why. In fact, if they were aware of the sign that we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Jesus healed the government's official's son, if you weren't here, um, this government official came to Jesus and said, my son is really sick. Will you please come to my house and heal him? And Jesus says, go back home. Your son is healed. Jesus didn't even need to go to see Lazarus. He could have um, performed this miracle from where he was. Lazarus could have been healed. But for whatever reason... Jesus didn't do that, and he didn't return. It appears that he doesn't even care. But what we're actually gonna discover here this morning is that he had a greater plan in mind, something far greater was about to happen. Verse 11, he said, our friend Lazarus, he's talking to the disciples now, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better, because they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, most of us here this morning, we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is going to come and that Lazarus is going to be risen from the dead, so we, we know there's a happy end in the story, but imagine how those words of Jesus must have sounded in that moment to those around. So harsh. I'm glad I wasn't there. But I think John is telling us this story because John is so passionate that everyone who reads this book, everyone who reads this letter that he's written will believe in Jesus. And he's trying to explain, listen, There is something far greater at work here. Jesus had a a far greater plan in mind. John's whole goal is that people will believe in Jesus. So he's included this story because there is a big belief lesson that's about to happen. Verse 17: when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine the disappointment in her voice there? Lord, my my friend. I don't understand. If, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why, why wouldn't you come? I've seen you heal so many people. You've healed strangers. But you let my brother, your dear friend, die. And I think one of the things we can learn from this interaction this morning that John has, has written down is that Jesus understands our disappointment. Because he saw that in the eyes of Martha that day. He saw, even though he knew what was to come, even though he knew the plan that was afoot, in that moment, he saw someone he loved and cared about. He saw the disappointment in her eyes. Maybe you're here today and you've asked Jesus, your friend, for a miracle, and he hasn't come through like you hoped he would. And you have a little bit of that same disappointment. You feel let down. Maybe you even feel a little bit guilty because you feel like, I feel like I should trust him and love him, but I'm just really upset that this didn't happen the way I wish it would have happened. I think this shows us that Jesus understands your disappointment. He knows what it's like. But I want to tell you, I do believe that he's always at work. I believe he always has a great plan that will bring glory to his name. And even if sometimes it doesn't line up with our plan, it doesn't mean he's not at work in your life. I mean, think about it this way. Often we come to Jesus with our requests, with our prayers, don't we? Like, Jesus, please um, help me get this job. Please help me pass this exam. Please, please heal this, this sickness. And, and that's great. And um, we should pray those prayers. Jesus wants to hear us pray those prayers. But sometimes I think there are things that we're not praying for that we probably should be praying for. When was the last time you you prayed the prayer, Jesus, give me more patience. I really want more patience. The reality is Jesus knows you and loves you so much. He knows you better than know yourself. And he may be aware of the fact that you may need some more patience in your life. So just because you're not praying for it doesn't mean he's not gonna answer that prayer that you haven't prayed. Sometimes he's at work doing things in our lives that we're not aware of. And the, the challenge is that sometimes I think our disappointment isn't that Jesus didn't do something, it's that he didn't do what we thought he should have done. We had this expectation, Jesus, if you would have just come back and healed Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. That, that's what you should have done. That's why I'm disappointed, because you didn't do it right. And I think Jesus understands our disappointment because he saw that disappointment in the eyes of Martha. He sees it shortly in the eyes of Mary. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. More disappointment. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. I don't think that Jesus was angry at them. I think Jesus was just angry at the impact that death has in our world because he knows that when God created uh, the heavens and the earth, it was perfect. There was no sickness, no death, but, but now we live in a broken world, and I think Jesus was angry when he saw the, uh, the implications of what it's like to live in this broken world. A deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. Wherever you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. In fact, the New Living Translation that we just read adds a verse, a word. If you look at some, it just says, Jesus wept. Just two words. Two very small words, but for some reason, John felt it was incredibly important to make sure that his readers, us today, we knew that in the middle of all of that, Jesus himself wept. And I think as I'm looking through this, it's because not only did Jesus understand our disappointment, I think John wants us to know this morning that, that Jesus understands our grief, Jesus understands our pain, our heartache, our sorrow when we go through difficult times in our life. And in this moment when Jesus wept, we get to see the humanity of Jesus on display. We get to see Jesus, the man, being affected by grief. Because he knows how this story is gonna end. He knows he's about to perform an incredible miracle. So if there's anyone in the crowd that day who shouldn't be crying, it's Jesus because he knows how the story ends. But something moved him to tears. You know, grief is a, a very interesting thing. I'm sure many of you have been through it at some stage in your life. And um, I think the only thing uh, we could all say about grief is that it's unique to every person, every situation. Some people deal with things differently than others. As I... Uh, Some of you know, the uh, last year or so of my life's been a challenging one. My dad, who lives back in England, has had a lot of health issues, and uh, his health declined pretty rapidly over the last month. And a few weeks ago, I was able to be back in England and be with him when he passed away. And then last weekend, my family and I,